Welcome to Frost Sessions, the Frost School of Music's official podcast. On this week's episode, we feature three legendary Frost School alumni with dozens of Grammy nominations and several wins, John Secada, Tim Mitchell, and George Noriega. All extremely talented, these tres amigos of legendary accolades get back together to discover the similarities between the three of their extraordinary careers. Brace yourself for a conversation on the secrets to success, the importance of who you know in the music industry, and how proactive friends can mutually help each other to greater success. Thank you for joining us today, and remember to stay tuned to Frost Sessions. So this is John Cicada, and we're here in Frost Sessions, uh, along with uh, my dear friends, musicians, producers, uh, Tim Mitchell on my right, George Noriega on my left. Um, collectively, we, we go back a long time. We've been friends for, for decades. Um, and uh, I think in our, in our friendship, you know, we, uh, we've crossed paths uh, professionally uh, many, many times. We've started many, many projects together. We've done so many things that have been a part of our careers. Starting with my own career, uh, nevertheless, they, uh, both uh, Tim and George have had, uh, obviously, tremendous careers that deal with um, so much success and... Um, uh, which, uh, on a personal note, I'm proud of the fact that they're uh, of of everything that they've accomplished. Because uh, as uh, great friends that we are, it's it's a testament to their talent, perseverance, um, uh, attached to this business, the business of music, uh, which is, I mean, I and I say that word very strongly because it is. It's uh, there's an element of uh, of what we do as musicians that deal with decision making. Um, uh, that deals with versatility, uh, with flexibility, based on who we are as as musicians. That kind of uh, puts us in a position to, uh, hopefully, to be successful. If if it's in the cards, you know, one thing that kind of connects us all of us uh, is the fact that we started out of this this school. So we we're all uh, performance jazz majors. And uh, uh, Tim, as an instrumentalist, as a guitar player, uh, and George and I, we were both uh, vocalists uh, as part of the jazz vocal program. Uh, but our careers, of course, have taken different paths. Uh, mm -hmm. Even from the time that we graduated, obviously, and, and, and the decision that we made, even before coming here, and I want to talk about that, I guess, from, from the standpoint, maybe starting with you, Tim, uh, Okay, what made you, I guess, uh, even to decide to come to Universal Miami to to study studio music and uh, studio music and jazz? I guess as a, as a, as a guitarist, what was what was the impetus? Kind of what kind of took you to come here? Well, I was uh, for high school. I was at a place called Interlaken Arts Academy, and there were a handful of people from there that I knew that had come down here to University of Miami. So I was thinking of where to, what college to go to, like Berkeley or here or GIT, which was there in LA. And I knew a guy, John Defaria, who um, was going to school here and he was a great guitar player. And I'd heard from other people that this was a great school for that. Uh, and that's kind of what led me down here. Um, and as it turns out, you know, just packed with great musicians and the only, you know, maybe there were 30 guitar players here at the time or something, but, uh, you know, I can't tell you how much I learned 
from students. I mean, the school is like it, it's the social environment, the, the people that you meet and that you interact with that become the people that, you know, open up doors and, right. and create paths for you after the fact. So, I mean, U of M was a... So basically, you, you, came, you came into uh, coming, to, coming to come to, the, to, to this university out of high school, basically. Yeah, right, right. out of high school. Uh, John DeFaria, by the way, which is somebody that we all know, uh, that I, I, we all work with, I work yeah. with, with him as well. Uh, 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 a member of the Miami Sound Machines, songwriter, producer in his own right. Um, so that the history, again, of musicians that have been a part of, a, of, of the jazz program here, that, uh, again, it's a, you, it's the, there's a networking attached to the people that we work with and that we know and that we become attached to over the years that this is important, I guess. And that it becomes maybe a part of your decision-making process that eventually kind of leads for then, eventually for you to decide, well, you want to come here and then, and here you are now decades later. Right. And, and you can say that that was a part of your decision-making process. The fact that you knew him, you came out of the same high school type of environment and then you just and, and they, they had an alumni history as well with Pat Metheny, Steve right. Morris, all these people that I really liked. And I came down here, I'd, I'd never visited, I'd never been to Miami, you know, so I just basically applied, got in, and then flew down here and did orientation. I didn't know anyone. Mm. I knew John a little bit just because I had met him. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of that, you know, the, the Jocko and this, all these amazing musicians guitar players in particular had, right. uh, had come here. So that, that was a big reason that led me down here. Well, uh, I think never know what to expect. One of the things about the, uh, in, uh, a, a university type of environment, hopefully, is that you want it to be a, become a, you want to get a networking element out of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's something that I think for all of us, we can say that, as, as, at least for me, I think, I think we can all say it, it's been a big part of our careers is that, uh, and, and at first you don't really think about it, but eventually when you kind of look back, especially now you, we've all been in the business for a while, is you, you realize how much of a networking process uh, coming to a school that has a history of, of, um, of musicians that are prominent in the business, uh, that you're still friends with, that are working musicians, even faculty members <laughs> mm -hmm. that, that are now faculty members um, and in the past that were fact, uh, when we came here, there were faculty members that were a part of the working environment at the time. And, and that's something that is, it sticks with you, you know. Um, George, your experience is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So when you decided to come here, you, you were already working for a while, right, mm -hmm. as a singer and band. So how, what was your decision-making process to, what was kind of your... The, your impetus as to mm -hmm. wanting to come here? Yeah, out of high school, I went to University of Florida, actually. Okay. So I, I went to Gainesville for a couple of years and started playing in bands and, and got my band together that, you know, started really having a lot of success in, locally in Gainesville, playing all the big fraternity parties, which was amazing learning experience in many ways. A lot of great drunk uh, college kids <laughs> in the crowd. So... It's, <laughs> The great Absolutely. first times of like, you know, really going over well live and, you know, 1,500, 2,000, you know, kids at the party was right. amazing. 
and we did a house band gig, and it just it went well for a couple of years, and then we decided to move down to Miami, and we got a house in Kendall, and a little band house. We built a little rehearsal room in the middle of the house, which was great. Did that for a few years. Worked with Eric Schilling okay. during that time. He, uh, he did a little, uh, we had like a three-song deal with Sony just to kind of do a demo. Eric Schilling, by the way, one of the most prolific yeah. engineers that... To this day. To this yeah. day that is in the business. Uh, mixes has mixed. every, every Grammy's show you hear. Every year is mixed by Absolutely. Eric. Uh, personally, he's mixed uh, all, every record that I've done. Mixed mm -hmm. every record for Gloria stuff. I mixed every record for yeah. a sleuth of artists and uh, a, a, an extremely influential and prominent engineer. Yeah, yeah. amazing guy. And, and gave us a break when we had, we were a new band with nothing and he heard something. Right in us and, and got me an internship at, at Crescent Moon while, I was, while he was recording the band. Oh, okay. And that's when I first met Gloria and Emilio. And it was strange at that time. I remember feeling like a certain comfort with them and with it, George and Clay, like if I had, I was destined like to, to be part of their, and for them to be part of my life. That's what it felt like. It was a strange feeling that I, I, I don't think I've ever had since or before that. And it turns out, it was a big part of, uh, they were all a big part of my, of my life. So we did that for a few years. And then around 90, 91, we started, uh, kind of hit the end of the road with the band. And then I was alone, kind of playing around town and kind of got to a crossroads of like, you know, what should I do? And then, you know, I had heard about music school and I heard UM had an amazing music school. And I guess there was a little thing going around in the working musicians, you know, it's, I was more in the pop rock scene. And it was like, yeah, you go to school, you get, you know, too educated in music, it becomes a different thing, it takes the heart out of it, it's too cerebral, it's, you know, so I had a little hesitation with that, but, you know, as soon as I, you know, I decided I'm going to go, I'm going to go audition and try and, and improve my voice, improve just my knowledge of music and didn't know much jazz at the time. Okay. Even though jazz vocal was the major. Right. And I was telling you, I auditioned with a jazz song. They asked for <laughs> right. a swing song and I auditioned with All Shook Up by Elvis Presley, which is hardly a jazz standard. So they, their eyes kind of like went, what the heck is this guy doing? But uh, I did get in, and, and man, it was just an incredible amount of knowledge in music, first of all, like, and, and then also what we were talking about, the networking and the people you meet and the relationships, and just the, being around these incredible musicians that are, are attracted to this place. You just learn so much just watching. I met Brendan there, yeah. Brendan Buckley, when he was 17 out of high school. Drummer. Drummer for Shakira with, with Tim and, and Albert. Who also, well, he came here, I guess. Yeah, he was here at the same time. So I was a little older. I was maybe 24, 25, and, and so most of the kids were younger. Um, so, like, like we were saying, many of the relationships we made at that time are still, look at us here, Amazing. 20 years later, 23 years later. So this is after you did the internship a little bit in, uh, yeah. with the Estefans. Oh, okay. Yeah. That okay, was before and, and I came to school. But it was, you know, a few weeks. A few right. weeks. It wasn't that long. Right. And I met, watched George and Clay. I was there when they were recording uh, Coming Out of the Dark. So at this you point, your, your idea is still to want to be a, a follow your, 
your your dream, for lack of a better word, as a performer, as, as a performer, a, again yeah. to be a performer, uh, writer, singer, songwriter, yeah. band, part of a band, do yeah. your thing, yeah. but still you as a vocalist, you you know. Yeah, yeah. With with the band, we had produced ourselves for a long time. So I did have an interest in that too. I enjoyed that process of right. arranging the song. What's the beat going to be? What's the guitar going to be? So we had done that as a band ourselves. So that I was, uh, you know, before I came to school. So that was a good education in that. And I did have an interest in that. I, I was aware that I liked that too. But yeah, principally it was for, for me to, you know, enhance my, my vocal ability, the writing, the knowledge of music, and to, to, be in, to keep those performing. Even when you, when you graduated, that, that, was that... Still, your your idea, or was, was your idea changing by the time you finished your degree? Yeah, I would say, I would say when I graduated, it was that was still the idea. Okay. Yeah, and then right out of graduation, well, while I was in school, I met Rita Quintero, who came a, a mutual friend of ours, and a great vocalist here with you, I've right? Also for a long time, me and Rita grad, uh, went to school together. Right. Uh, I think, well, I was the first one to graduate out of the whole, uh, out of the program, but I think Rita graduated right after me. Right, so it's the same, similar same, time around as Around the same time as the vocalist in the jazz vocal program. So she came back to Larry looking for a guy to sing some studio sessions while I was still in school. So I imagine you were doing some sessions with her? Yeah, I was working Before your doing career things. took off, Correct. so it was probably a replacement for you and, and whoever other guys Yeah, I was had. already kind of doing my own thing yeah, with the so, Gloria, yeah. And there was a lot of work at that time. There was, was a lot of background vocals and all, for all musicians at that time in the recording right. world. So Larry said, well, you know, George has had some experience in performing. He's not as green as some of the younger kids out of high school give him a try, you know, so she said, okay, and she came, called me for a couple small gigs, and then they got bigger and bigger, and then it was, you know, mainly me, Raul Midon, Wendy, Great. Prophet, uh, Wendy Peterson, and, Peterson. And, Rita. and Rita. We were like Carol. the four that were doing and you a did lot of the gigs, little while. and we did that during school, so I was, during school. I was busy. You were <laughs> I was at school, but it was first well, time. Well, working on your degree. Right, so I was okay. in school and busy with the sessions, you know, running around. And, uh, and that was the first time I started making a little money. A little money. Music, you know, I was like, okay, I can make some money doing this. And, and that uh, kind of worked up to, to, toward, till the end of your undergraduate degree? Right, okay. right. And then it's right when I was, as I was getting out, graduating, they were looking for a guy for Gloria Stefan's next tour, which is also... Well, that's pretty how, much replacing that's, you. That's when we start to cross, <laughs> cross paths. That's right, and and that was that was when it turned. Everything kind of started to turn for you, and I guess maybe not on purpose, but um, right. It was kind of it was more stable of producer songwriters yeah. that worked for Emilio and Gloria, and that's when I started kind of leaning towards that leaning and towards say, oh, that. I kind of I like we'll, this. We'll get, that, we'll get yeah. to that in a minute. <laughs> that was the so term. now when you graduated, though, because I remember, you know, us... I didn't graduate. Huh? I didn't quite graduate. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I'm, almost. <laughs> well, you know what? Towards he the got end, gigs. <laughs> towards the end of your, of, your, of your college time. I remember that's when we started to work together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the interesting thing about, uh, and maybe we all experienced this, Literally, like, 
Well, need, need, by, by the way, neither did Pat Metheny. He never graduated either. So, so. That's right. I mean, so, uh, you don't have to. I heard <laughs> of what happened to him. I'm, okay. uh, <laughs> but uh, during school, you know, there were clubs where bands would play six nights a week, four or five sets a night. So I was going to school all day. This was, basically, I took a little break from school, had a band, the whole thing. Got a little burned out on that. Came back to school after a couple semesters in 89. And then, you know, it was literally like coming to school all day, then gig at night, five, six nights a week, and teach in the afternoon before that. So it was like incredibly oh, you, uh, busy, you but I loved it. It was great. It was, it was, yeah, and there was so mm -hmm. much going on. And then basically there was, I got the gig with Expose playing guitar at the, during that semester, so that's kind of why I cut everything short and I went out with how did, how did you get that gig? It was just a cattle call audition really? thing. So they got, you know, people in LA to audition, people, I guess, in New York and Miami, and then they'd put uh, a few different bands together, and then, so I ended up in one, uh, and then there were three other bands or something, and then they ended up being basically the band I was in minus the bass player, which was Brad Russell, and they changed to another guy. So, Expose, by the way, for maybe the young generation, one of the most uh, in the uh, in the eighties, yeah, was one of the most. Uh, what was the big hit? Was a, one of the Paul biggest. Playing no, return. Return. Girl no return. Dance, uh, uh, dance music groups, extremely popular for a long time, and uh, so so it was a cattle call gig that you yeah. you got. That I got, exactly. And then, you know, at that point, it's, it was, you know, we did a lot of promo, which is all TV. So you're, you know, coming from just being in school and everything it was, seemed like, you know, a lot of money and a lot of fun. And it was <laughs> fun. And we went all over, uh, all over the States. We did a tour. I mean, we also toured for like a year and a half, I think. Wow. And then, uh, and that's, kind of, that's the reason I didn't come back to school. Right, then, you, were, you were gigging, working, well, you were busy. My goal when finishing school was to get a gig like that. Um, I think my original goal as a kid was to be in a band like Led Zeppelin and have a <laughs> castle in England, like everyone does. Right. I thought that was, that was the gig. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, uh, that was happening and then that, that stopped uh, at one point and I moved out to LA and got into the scene there. Now, how, how did you hook up with the Bob Seger band? Uh, that was like a long time coming. I was going to school here, and I was flying home for Christmas to Detroit, and the Seeger sax player was on the plane. I didn't recognize, I didn't recognize him, but he had a, I saw he had a horn in a case. And I was like, oh, hey, do you play? And uh, he, who do you play with? And he said, Silver Bullet Band. And I said, oh, yeah, I know you're Alto Reed, I think, that. that. And as we're talking and hanging out, I was like, hey, if you're ever, you know, looking for wow. someone, guitar player, man, I'd love to do it. And he was like, well, you know, maybe, but here's the address of the office. Wow. Why don't you do a demo and send it to us? Got to Detroit Christmas time, did a demo in this little studio, sent it, heard nothing. Right. Nothing. And then, uh, then a few years later, that year I came back in 89, I went to Ace Music, uh, which was in North Miami, to meet Steve Vai, who was doing a signing theater. <laughs> and so I walked in, because uh, the guy who worked there let me in early, and Alto, the sax player, was there. And I said, hey, aren't you Alto Reed? And he was, he was like, uh, yeah. Well, I was like, no, no, I met you on a plane a few years back, right. and da, 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 da. 
So then he said that he had a studio that he just put together in his house. He lived on Key Biscayne and he's doing some demos for, for film. Because Seeger right. had like uh, Beverly Hills Cop and a lot of movie success with... Uh, Bob Seeger, by the way, of course, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. Legend. Yeah. Legend, right? Unbl I mean, I was like a little kid when I would go see him, you know, at the basketball arena in Detroit. He's from Detroit, right? He's from yeah. Detroit, yeah. So I just, uh, it's funny because then I started working with Alto on, uh, on these tracks and he really liked me. And then later, a few months later, the band was coming down to rehearse because they were trying to get Bob to... So it started with demos that you did with... started with demos with the Alto. office, started hearing uh, Punch Andrews, who's Seeger's manager at the time. They started hearing me and then the other guys in the band came down uh, for like a spring kind of thing with their families and wanted to rehearse. So I rehearsed with them and got along with those guys great. Uh, still no Bob. And uh, then after that, like I basically made a huge point of if I had a break from the expose tour or something, I'd go back to Detroit and try to work with these guys. I started writing with Craig, the keyboard player. And still no Bob. And then eventually, you know, there's a long, long story, whatever. But Craig and I were writing a lot of songs together. And then Bob started to hear those. And then I, eventually, I met Bob and I auditioned, we played together, did a video together, and he didn't tour at that point, he wanted to do an album. So I went into the studio with him in oh, Nashville and wow. LA for like a year, working on this album. And then... Uh, in Nashville? Nashville and, and LA, yeah. Okay. And then, uh, and he's just, you know, the nicest guy, like helped me get my amp out of the car and like, pick, I'd pick him up <laughs> in my, my pickup truck at the Chateau Mama. Oh, that's <laughs> like, fun. But it started with a demo tape out of a conversation in a plane. Right. It started with you. If I had not decided to come back to school, I wouldn't have heard about Steve Vai being at Ace Music because I was going through um, registration for that semester. Right. And someone said that, so I went up there. I wouldn't have run into him again, and then it never would have happened. Or if you wouldn't have said, oh, you got a sax there? What is yeah, that? Yeah. Exactly. Just Even in the, the, the initial connection you know, with, with Alto. So. Yeah, and then that just turned into you know, the whole thing. And then just we talking got, about that earlier, about those little moments that you kind of trace back to a, how things yeah, start. Someone, you spoke to somebody, a phone call, well, and that's all making that, that effort. You know? You know, it speaks to everybody that I guess all, all of us that are in the music business, everybody that comes out of the school, out of this program, out of any music program really, it's... <laughs> How do you actually connect to, to get to the next level? And, and there's, there's no formula to it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there really isn't, except your, your perseverance, your, your ambition, um, your work ethic, your whatever discipline and sacrifice that you kind of, you, you attach to whatever you want to do. And, and then, uh, and, it's, and it's all in destiny in the cards and then and how often you kind of stay on top of it. Um, and there's no guarantees, but then mm -hmm. eventually, eventually there's, there's something be, to be said, I guess, about that element at, of, of perseverance. At any level, you're always just throwing little lines out to see what, you know, if you catch anything or if right. something's gonna come of a certain conversation or a phone call or reaching out. And you just never know where it's gonna come from. So, you know, you, you start doing some vocal gigs, but then you start meddling into the songwriting element of things. Yeah, how, well, how did how did that really that how did that evolve out of 
out of the fact that you were doing some background vocal work, I guess, mm -hmm. at that point, you know. Well, with my band, uh, before I went to school, we were producing and writing everything. So I had been writing and producing a lot, and, and with mainly two other guys in the band, we kind of wrote it and produced everything. So, but it was in that band Just kind of Just to kind of let people know, production meaning that, you know, besides the writing of a song, mm -hmm. you actually work out the arrangement, the, yeah. the, the beat, right. you know, yeah, the whole every thing. element attached right. to putting together a recording of it, right. correct? Okay. Right, yeah, so you have the song with the basic chords and the melody and the lyric, you know, it's the basic uh, construct of But a, then of the production song. element yeah. is putting it together in some type of uh, uh, recording package so that, right. you know, with however you want it to sound, which is, right. if the song is right, then the production element becomes yeah. a big deal. The, the how, who, how, which, how you decide to put the, the drums, the bass, right. this, you know. The whole instrumentation and the whole feel and the beat. And, and, you know, up until that point, it was a band, so it was the production side was mainly in that type of, you know, a couple of guitars, a keyboard player, a bass, and a drums, and yeah, that was yeah. it, and, and vocal production. Always a team effort, so to speak? Um, well, I mean, in the sense of the instrumentation and the genre and the style was in that kind of pop rock band. Right, right. So when it got to uh, writing and producing for other people, when, it, when we got with Emilio Stefan that we were all there doing that, that became a different animal and I, that I had to kind of understand was a different, there's a lot more possibilities. And, and, and one of the things I remember learning from, from that process with Emilio and all of us together how doing it. How did you it, meet? How did you actually get to meet the Emilio Stefan? How did you get to that? Um, yeah, that was Rita. That was after we were doing all those sessions. She was the lead uh, in the background vocal section. She was okay. the leader. So she came to, to UM and, uh, well, after we had done the, the sessions, that's right, then she asked me, said, hey, do you want to audition? Oh. So, so it was an audition with Donna Allen, of all people, with this amazing Another voice. Another vocalist. <laughs> that yes. was quite intimidating to sing Very. with. Very the, powerful vocalist. And I had just met her that same day. So she said, okay, you and Donna are going to sing on one song. So I you know, go into the studio and there's Gloria and Emilio with uh, maybe George, I think, George Casas, and Donna, hi, Donna, how are you, yeah, you know, and uh, it was, the song that we sang on was a song called Destiny. I remember that. So it was kind of ironic, I said, wow, I kind of always felt that this was my destiny to be with, and I swear, it was that type of feeling when I first met her as an intern, because they are very warm and, you know, yeah, they're yeah. Cuban. My parents are Cuban. I come from that same type of... It was always a very welcoming type yeah, of environment. Yeah, but it was more than that. Because I've met a lot of Cuban people that talk like me and my family and all that. And I didn't get that feeling. This was... A, it was beyond that. It was a feeling of just like, I'm going to be... They're going to be part of my life. And right, right. somehow, I don't know how. <laughs> and there I was. And I show up. And the song is called Destiny. And I'm like, okay, Destiny. Here we go. And we just did the part, and I guess, I guess we did okay, and we got the, Donna and I both got the gigs, because I guess good. Donna was auditioning as well. So that the, was your entrance into the whole working with... With, with Gloria the, and Emilio, yeah. With the production team. Yeah, so then it was the tour, and then during the tour, meeting all, all the guys in the band who yeah. were producers and writers for Emilio, and I said, ooh, I'd like to do that. That sounds amazing, you know, that, that would be... And just watching that process of 
writing and creating a sound for other artists and producing, you know, with different genres and create, hey, what can we do for this artist in their next step? That was a whole different thing than just producing for the band. But I really liked that. I really took to that. I felt like, ooh, I like coming just, up with a sound a and having that vision. For you. Yeah. So that's where it kind of, I started getting into more producer songwriting for other people. And it made that shift. You know, I always wondered, George, because I've known you, you know, for, for a while, I guess since the mid-90s, but I always wondered where, where was it? What was the, that, you know, the initial thing that kind of triggered the whole idea, like, oh, wait a minute, no, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying kind of the, the process of, of writing, mm -hmm. even though I'm a vocalist myself, but writing, working with, with for other artists, because I, I also enjoy that as well. Right. Uh, of course, my career, thank God, you know, it, it went in a different route. Mm -hmm. But even though when I was still doing my thing, I still enjoyed it because right. I did it for so long. I, I wrote, I was in the studio every day. Uh, I started out doing that right. for so long, writing, working, uh, background vocal stuff, production work. Uh, and I, I always realized how much I enjoyed it, even though I'm, you know, obviously more than extremely thankful that my career <laughs> went that it went that it did. But understanding, realizing mm -hmm. that if, if, uh, if I had stayed in that, you know, just as a, uh, as a vocalist, but as a, as a producer, songwriter, mm -hmm. how much I really truly enjoyed it. Right. And it, was, it reflected itself in other ways mm -hmm. later, yeah. like as we know with yeah. other songs and things that we did, that when I was working on my own music for my own records, how it reflected, like when I was writing something, how I could work with some, for another artist. Right. And uh, but I'm I'm happy to hear. I'm like it's interesting to hear, mm -hmm. like your impetus. Like well, because mm -hmm. I talk about I use that word a lot because because you never know what's going to be the thing that's going to drive you right. to kind of switch gears. Right. I never switched gears. You did. Right. See, I my career went you know in a different route. Right. But you switch gears altogether. You're like no no no. And then once you switch gears, you stayed there. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I guess it, it, part of it was just I was blessed, too, to have success pretty early on in doing that. You know, with, right. with Ricky Martin when we wrote She's All I Ever Had and Shake Your Bonbon bon and a huge album. That was one of the first things I did. You know, pretty sure one of the first big projects that we worked on. And let's, I happened let's, to let's get... Let's talk about that. Let's talk about, again, you know, I, uh, once again, I... I Again, I've known you both for so long, so let's let's uh, let's talk about it in this in the, in this uh, podcast about your credits because it, it they are significant. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, you were you were a part of, of a big record early on in your career as mm -hmm. a as a producer mm -hmm. uh, and as a writer, uh, and Ricky Martin was a big part of, of your career. So, yeah. explain how that came along, how that came to be, and and then how that reflected itself after that, because then your career really took off mm -hmm. in that department, even though you stopped working with the Estefans, but it, it didn't matter. It, right. it, it already had started in, in that path uh, attached to that particular mm -hmm. project. Yeah, yeah, the first, the first uh, song that, that was placed, that was a big song that we did with Emilio was Baila, that we did together. Oh, that's right, for, for Jennifer for, Lopez. For, for, um, for Jennifer Lopez. For Jennifer Lopez. Uh, her debut album. So 
that was kind of the first step. Like, okay, we got some, because, you know, a lot of it was writing, didn't get on, writing, didn't get on, do a demo, didn't get on. Right. You know, which is another thing I think it's important to, that I know all three of us have a lot of, is just that determination of, hey, you're going to, it's like a batter, you know, you're going you're gonna to not get on base two-thirds of the time and you're doing great. You know, right. and it's similar right. with songwriting and producing and pitching demos and, you know, so it's important not to get discouraged because, of course, a lot of people don't expect that, you know. I see a lot of young artists, writers, and they get frustrated so quickly and I'm like, hey, take it easy, you know. It's, yeah, right, you right. Learn from it and move on and realize maybe why it didn't get on there, you know. It, you didn't make it on the, on the album or they took this song instead of your song. Let, let me see what, instead of freaking out, you say... How come? Okay, maybe I see that beat is a little bit like this, you know, maybe, and you learn from it, and then you move on. Yeah, you, you don't let your ego kind of ruin yeah. the process. It's hard, it's hard to, because, you know, you're pouring your soul into a song. And it's easy and it's to, just, to get it's crushed. It's like, oh. Very you know? easy to get discouraged. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not a, a fun feeling, you know. No, it's not. So, um, yeah, then after the J-Lo thing, then... Uh, I remember uh, Ricky was, was six, very successful in the Latin side, but he was doing an English album, and uh, it was the album that La Vida Loca was on, which became a hu huge worldwide smash, right. cover of Time, cover of Newsweek, you know, one of those phenomenons that is hard to explain. But, uh, and we really didn't, ex I didn't expect that much of, you know, he's doing an English album. Oh, let's see if this guy can cross over. There really hadn't been a big crossover yet. That was kind of the beginning of it. Right. Him, J-Lo, Mark. And he performed on the Grammys, uh, Cup of Life. I remember that. And that moment where it just blew everybody away. I remember Madonna was in the front, like, oh, my God, who's this kid? And it was just a big impact in the American market. Right. So, and we were still working on the album. It wasn't done yet. So I remember the excitement and the interest of Tommy Mottola, who was the head of Sony at the, the time, at the time, became a lot bigger on that album. All of a sudden, it was priority. And we were finishing up the songs, the recordings. By the way, for the record, there, there used to be a time, I don't know if it still exists, that the same process whereby, you know, uh, you would work on a complete album, let's say, you know, whatever, 10, 12 songs. Good point. <laughs> And, and uh, while you were working on that, you, you were still, you were focusing maybe on one, two, three songs at first that would be the, the songs that would be out on the radio or that would be released for people to hear, singles, right? Singles, yeah, the big singles. While, while, while you were working on what would be the, what was considered the finished product of an album. So that was always the, that used to be the model for a long yeah, time. that's right. Yeah. It's not anymore, but... They would put the single out first, maybe Correct. two, and then release the album a few months later, a couple months later, or whatever. Right. So, so yeah, that was, um, that was a big deal. And then we were lucky enough to write she is, She's All I Ever Had, right. which was the single following La Vida Loca. And then I did Shake Your Bon Bon, which was the next single following that one. So it was, you know, it was... It was uh, and you wanted to do all the records, Rick, Correct. Went on to, for Ricky, yeah. All the yeah. stuff for Ricky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did uh, the, sec the next album after that. We did a couple more songs, and then I met Draco Rosa. Through that, he was the main writer on Ricky's album, and, right. and then I worked with him on his album, Mad Love, which is 
you know, an album I'm still really proud of, this beautiful album. Um, and, you know, that whole relationship. And then we did a third album with Ricky uh, after, as, the, I was, as I was leaving uh, Estefan, kind of go, trying to go out on my own and made that decision after six, seven years. It was incredible time with them. And I'm still very, very grateful for everything. And we're still great friends. So no, I know uh, that. And that was a great time for you there. And, yeah. um, and that was... a. Uh, of course, that those Ricky Martin projects was, yeah. I guess, kind of led the way to what, what really happened out. to your career afterwards. You being as an independent, mm -hmm. you know, uh, producer songwriter. Mm -hmm. You, on the other hand, of course, let's go back to then your career. Then after, you know, of course, Expose, Bob Seger. How did you connect with the Estefans? Um, um, with the Estefans oh. production company in ninety. Well, it all started, uh, I, was, I was in L.A., I just started, uh, I did an audition for Barry Manilow, because I was, you know, in good work, and it was a great gig coming up. So I got that gig, played guitar, and then we were in rehearsals, and George Casas called me, and he said, hey, or no, John DeFario called me, he's like, he said, hey, dude, I'm leaving the sound machine, do you want the gig? And wow. I said, yes. Reference, John DeFario, so a guy that, you, that indirectly you knew from school, High school or not that no you not directly but here here we go connections you yeah yeah I mean? he called me um, and I was in the middle of rehearsals for this <laughs> so I said yes for sure you guys were already on tour you were this is the tour you were on and we um, I had to like give Barry my notice after like the first gig I gave him a month we did the first oh, show <laughs> in San Diego how did that go. <laughs> uh, I mean, he was such a great guy. He was super cool, and I, I sort of, he, he understood. He was like, no, she's huge right now. This is a great move for you, and I'm sorry to see you That's go. Nice. And I really respected him just because, as a songwriter and a performer. Sure. I mean, oh my yeah. God, it's like mind-blowing. Yeah. But again, you know, Gloria was, to me, a better fit and a lot more guitar, and right. all my friends were in the band. So then we were doing a gig at uh, the Paramount in New York City, uh, and Gloria, you guys were playing, Gloria Stefan was playing at the garden upstairs. So I literally like went from, you know, switched over to that tour. Like my gear went from the downstairs <laughs> to the upstairs trucks and headed up. <laughs> um, so that's basically, and that whole time, I mean, I was always interested in production and okay. writing. And I remember being like, like Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, that Rhythm Nation record and Mutt Lang, Hysteria, the Def Leppard. I was like, you know, wanted to be, I wanted to be involved in that, in that process, you yeah, know, process. just blew me away. It's like, how are these guys? So besides the, the actual gig, you understood the, the possibility of what maybe the, at the time what was going on with. I mean, I was, yeah, I was always looking for an in as far as, you know, songwriting with the artist. So I tried right. that, you know, with Expose, we wrote some stuff that didn't really make the cut. Same thing with uh, with Seeger. I got in with the thing, so I got like three songs on one of his records. And again, you know, the closer you you know, being a sideman for these artists gave me the opportunity for instant access to the artist right. if they're a writer or whatever. Or so, for instance, with Emilio, um, at that time, you know, I was new, so I was just playing guitar and doing the gig and having a, you know a great time. And you had just finished like your first two songs. And we were in Australia listening to those 
downstairs and I was like, I have just another day an angel and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I mean, no, I thought, man, you know, it's one, to hear like such, like groundbreaking in my yeah. opinion, two songs Classic. that literally are like, you know, those are the things I listen to and I'm like, damn, I wish I wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, when I heard those two songs, I was like, this is definitely going somewhere. Yeah, thank you, man. It was a great film. And by the way, another thing about uh, Bob Seger, one thing that helped me was you ran into him at the Grammys. You yeah. were presenting yeah. Gloria with the oh, Mitierra yes. yeah, yeah, Award. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And somehow Seger found out I was playing guitar with you. So he comes back and he's like, I, I want a Tim Mitchell. Let's, uh, let's try to get him in. Oh. So he, the fact that I was, you were super current. You were the cool right. cat on the street in the, you so know, at the Grammys. So I got a little stock, my stock yeah. went up. So he said, I want that Tim Mitchell. Yeah, yeah. It was, <laughs> it was hilarious. So, this, this so that's one. interesting, interesting little fact. Thank you, my friend. Uh, yeah. he's, he's very happy to help well, you in know any what? way he Again, can. Again, it's, it's a testament to the networking of, of how things happen. I mean, it's sometimes there's a connected, there's a connection attached to it that is obvious. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's um, conscious, sometimes it's not. You know, some, again, this, this, our, our business is, it deals with uh, opportunity, opportunity, and opportunity. And John was very timing. generous with that always. He would say, use me. Use me any way you can to anything I can do. Anything he was very do. happy to help in many ways. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the, the catapult, which is, became then your relationship with Shakita. Because you've been with Shakita's you were part of her career at the beginning in, in her crossover success, right. but you're also, you, you've been her MD for what, 20 years? Yeah. 20, so 22. let's talk about that because that's a, wow. in, in this day and age, that's, it's, it's an unheard of relationship. Uh, yeah, in, I mean, I in, feel in a way. incredibly lucky. It's like we're. How did that happen? How exactly did that happen? Uh, well, we did the, in the, Evolution tour. George was on that one. We have, uh, after I did a Seeger tour, then jumped on that, and that's when Emilio was starting to, you know, he had always had George Casas and Cleos when we're pretty much doing all the records, mm -hmm. and then now he was kind of open to other people presenting stuff. So, you and I did a few things, yeah. and you know, I just wanted him, you know, to know that I was interested. Right. Time. So. It turned into the Latin Motown thing, where correct. It was, it was. It was just incredible how he, you know, he really just like Barry Gordy, like give, gave everyone respect. He did. And let you do your thing and trusted you to do it mm -hmm. and oversaw the whole thing, mm -hmm. you know. And he was very, you know, the things that uh, that I've been successful with, I probably couldn't have done without him for sure. But we were doing that tour and putting together demos and doing this and that, and then he was doing. Uh, Carlos Ponce's record, I think, and I wrote something with Carlos when I ran into him at Crescent Moon, and he loved it. I was living in LA at the time. He called me, said, "Hey, I love this thing. Come back and let's finish it." So then, Shakira was in the studio at the same time working on "Donde Están Los Ladrones," which was her second album. Huge record for her in Spanish. Huge record, and that's when I met her. And then uh, the first thing was that immediately she had to do a Sony release party for that album, which was here in Miami, I think. Mm. And then uh, basically the sound machine backed her up. You know, I think Clay 
I don't know if Cleo's there, but, but, and I was kind of, I was, George Casas was MDing that at the time. But uh, she was a very intense uh, working person. Young like, she's driven, forget about it. <laughs> and a lot of, you know, <laughs> I was really into that, you know, and I, when I, you know, I just wanted to, after rehearsal, I'd hang out with her and we'd like mess around and then she'd be, oh, I like that. And so we started writing and hanging out. Um, and I, I just, we had so much in common musically, and right. uh, I think Emilio saw that as well. So he kind of, you know, helped that door open. He was, Emilio Stefan was really good about connecting people, mm -hmm. I thought, especially during that time. And he was her manager at the time. And he was her manager at the time. How did that song, the, that her first hit song, crossover song, uh, um, whenever, how, how did that come about? Well, um, I think so. We did the Unplugged album, which right. was cool. And that's when I started MDing for her, was basically doing the Unplugged album. And George was on that. Mm -hmm. And then uh, she started working on an English crossover album, which sort of terrified her, you know? Was she? <laughs> yeah. Um, but Emilio and Tommy Matola, they were like, let's do this, come on, let's do it. So I went to the first thing... I think was in the Bahamas. I think I went there f for a few months or something. We wrote a bunch of things together. Then I came back. Then we all went to Argentina. George was mm -hmm. with me. We wrote a, we got a Uruguay. good song down there. Uruguay? In Uruguay, Uruguay. Mm -hmm. And then uh, came back and went to the Bahamas. And did the day, I just went over there by myself to write with her. And I had this idea in my head for the groove and this song, like a mid-tempo, four on the floor groove. And I was always into this song "Torn" by Natalie and Bruglia, and I was always trying. I was always trying to, to you know, emulate that in some way, just because I liked it so much. But I also noticed that everything was—that's like a very major chord song, and everything I was hearing was all minor. So I was like, I need to do something, but have it be in a minor key. And this sounds really mm -hmm. stupid. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> so I just uh, went over there and kind of came up with the groove and came up with you know a vibe and everything. Then she came in and she. We wanted to kind of chase this Andean, you know, flute thing and those elements and... So, did she come up with the hook or you, you did it or...? She did. It was originally in Spanish. It was called Suerte. So she melodies her and she came up with the, the flute thing. And then, um, you know, I did the intro and the chords and, and uh, the, you know, programmed everything and all. Great mm -hmm. song and changed her career. And Still sounds amazing. Still sounds amazing, man. I'm telling you, it just is one of those things that literally was never slated to be the first single. It just kind of like bubbled mm. up. You know, you have these albums, you put 10 songs together and you always focus on one. Mm -hmm. You're like, that's the one. So she was different. You know, everyone was focused on a different song. And then slowly it's kind of like, well, wait a second. That, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of different. What about that one? And then, then the English. idea was to sing it in English. Mm -hmm. So then right. she wrote lyrics in English with Gloria Estefan. Also, Gloria was involved in the writing. In the, yeah, in the English show. In the English, okay. So then we went, I went back to the Bahamas at Compass Point and we tracked the vocals and everything and, you know. And that was the beginning of her, her crossover career. Yeah, thank God. I mean, I was so lucky to, you know, have the first single. Yeah. No, and, and to this day, you still heard music and director and, you, and you've, and let's talk about that for a minute because, I, I mean, it, that, that is, that is just, that's a big gig <laughs> when you, when you're, when you're the leader of a band for a major artist. I mean, it's, uh, um, needless to say, it's, it's a huge responsibility, but 
also politically, you, you have to handle so much uh, between what the artist wants and, and the artist's concerns and uh, how they feel, and also politically, also what's around the artist, mm -hmm. management, situations, touring schedules, um, band members, yeah. you know, uh, what they're all about, proficiency. Uh, so that's gotta be, man, that, that gig for that long, it, it has to, it's, it, there's, there's some to it that I'm sure for you, it's, it's gotta be something that uh, I can't imagine what it's like at, at that level, knowing that you gotta control all these elements at all times right. and, and make sure that, again, at the end of the day, the, the boss, the artist, is happy, right? That's it. Um, I mean, for me, uh, that gig is kind of like home for me, and she's like family, and I know her so well, and I, you know, she's, she's very intense, and it takes, uh, there's definitely a break-in period. If, you know, if there's someone new coming in, it takes, you know, there's, a process, as you know, because we were. And it's taking a process for you too to kind of work with that and work with. Yeah, yeah. With well, I learned a lot from you to be very and George Casas actually right. just diplomacy, and the the toughest like on the road that that stuff is the important thing is getting along with everyone. Getting along. You assume obviously that you have great players for one because you're not going to get. But if he's a great player or she's a great player, and. They don't get along with people, or they're like one of these people. What's that? Have you ever had to fire anybody? Of course. How is that like? Well, it's a drag. I mean, what, you know, some of these people are my friends, but you know. That's the problem, right? When they, when you're, that's always a tough thing for for me. Yeah. Inadvertently, when when people that you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes you don't necessarily agree with the decision, but it's not your decision to make. Correct. And. You know, with someone like Shakira, she has a vision of where she wants to go and how things, how she wants them to be and how she wants things to sound in, in every detail. And you're the guy that's got to make the call. It, well, she tells me what she wants. Sure. I want to make her happy, make basically. Um, and, you know, there's bumps in the road without a doubt with anybody, you know, with anyone. Mm. Uh, but the stuff for me, like we've done a lot of complex things where like the World Cup, we did three of those, right. and you know those are intense because you've got so advertisers and the 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 you know theme, everyone's the talking to you about everything. You did the Olympics? Too, no, right? no, we just did we did three World Cups, the finals. Uh, so then you know you also have to it's a live kind of thing. You get one shot. It's like the Super Bowl, but bigger. Mm. <laughs> Amazing. But still, you know, I it just never it never seemed like a. It just, besides the lack of sleep, <laughs> it was never something that I felt like I, you know, well, was in over my head. And I guess it's a testament to the fact that you, you're, ex you're experienced along the way and then the fact that you, uh, you're growing, you're, your growth process as a musician and, and as, a, as a band leader. And I think that's one of the things Tim, Tim brings to as a band, among many things, but as a, as a musical director, band leader, is just that attitude of like, Hey, it's it's a gig. It's cool. It's, it's going to be all right, you know. And there's not that. Oh my God, it's the World Cup, and we have to get it right. And if you have someone that's that, you know, freaked out, setting the tone, it's going to freak the band out, and and you know, you're not going to get things right. the best out of everybody. 
And I think you have that, that natural talent ability to just kind of make people relax and, and have a good time, and it's going to be awesome. New, you know. new things with her, right? You just some new, new recordings with her recently? Um, yeah, yeah, we got a song that's out now. Girl Like Me. Awesome. Just yeah, came out. But, uh, and the, the other thing like that, there's, we've done a lot of things with multiple artists as well. So you've mm -hmm. got the, and you've done this as well. So you know, when you're, in, you're representing one artist and then you've got two other right. big artists also involved or whatever, I mean, it's, <laughs> we've done it, I've done it so many times uh, with Shakira, with, you know, some legendary artists that, um, it's never been a real issue, but there's, you know, there's delicate. There's, it's delicate. It can be delicate. <laughs> My friend, you're you're extremely modest. You're 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 a, you're, a, you're 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 a diplomat, and I and I love that about you because you've always been that way. At the same time, you're a tremendous musician. One time, and I'm going to say this. Uh, one time, I I called you out of the blue. I was I was in a spot, and I needed somebody last minute, and uh, luckily you were you were available. What was that? Uh, Brazil? Yeah, yeah man. Mm. And, and, and you learn all that material, you learned it in, in a day, and, um, wow. and it's a testament to your musicianship. That was fun. And friendship. And, uh, and friendship. <laughs> and thank you. <laughs> and by the way, you've worked with another, you know, you've worked with some great artists, and among them, one of the, another icons, Roberto Carlos, which for anybody who knows anything about international music, as, uh, from Brazil to the rest of Latin America, Icon, icon, another icon, yeah. uh, and um, again, you, you've, you've, uh, as, and you've, you've, as a musician, as a producer, you stayed in that camp, uh, uh, and still practicing and doing who you are, which is being a hell of a great guitar player, and think, and this <laughs> is amazing, bro, really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, that's great. Talk about Mana because Mana is another group. Uh, probably whoever doesn't know about Mana, we're, talk we're talking about in comparison the U2 in the Latin world. Mm -hmm. Think about U2, Mana. Mm -hmm. Mana is considered the uh, the the icon of bands in the Latin market. Mm -hmm. How in the world did you connect <laughs> with Mana? Well, connected actually where we left off with Ricky Martin. Ricky Martin's manager, Angelo Medina, became Mana's manager. And uh -huh. I have to give him so much credit uh, and among so many other people, like I mentioned, Rita and uh, Ed Kaye, which we have brought up, and Emilio Stefan. And there's four or five key people, Eric Schilling, you know, that, that really took me into areas that I would have never gotten into, opening the doors that we said. Mm. So Angelo Medina, you know, I met him with Ricky Martin, convinced Draco to work with me, you know, and, and put that whole thing together. Ednita Nazario also hooked that up. Another band, Black Guayaba from Puerto Rico, a very great, cool band. Out of, all hooked up by Angelo, and then he brought Mana, and he worked on Mana. It took about a year. I think we went to a Mana show once. He was trying to really? just... Really? Yeah, he kept working it. He says, you're the guy for them. <laughs> There was a Univision thing here. Yeah, 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 yeah I was in Miami. I mean, so a testament, it takes yeah. a while to yeah. get things going sometimes. Yeah, uh -huh. and, and, and those key people in your career that you meet, you yeah. know, that you know, he took to me, I took to him, we just had a great relationship, and he believed in me, and I, 
you know, I tried not to let him down whenever he hooked me up with somebody, you know, just try and give it everything you have. So, yeah, it was a process of come see him in California, flew me out to California to see them, say hello quickly, and then four months, five months later, he brought him by my studio. And, you know, they were probably like trusting him, like, you sure? I don't know, Ricky Martin's a little pop for us. We're like a band, you know. <laughs> and I was like, real, really, I come from bands. That's exactly. what I, that's where I was, my, it's in my veins, you know. That's what I do. That's what I love to do. So we met in my studio. They were a little skeptical. Then we met again four months later. It was a long process. You know, then after we met in my studio, then I went to see him at another show a few months later. And I always joke with Fed about this is that I, you know, I was like, we met, you know, for about an hour in my studio. And I went to see him and he was doing a lot of press, taking pictures. And then I come up to him and, and I was with their, their assistant. She said, okay, go ahead, go ahead now. And I went up right before a show. So it was a little chaotic. Yeah, a little chaotic. And, and I'm like, hey, and Alex, you know, who's yeah. is great, the drummer, he's like, hey, dude, how are you, man? We saw you this dude. And Fed is like, who's, who's, who the hell is this guy? I don't know this guy. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, remember, we met at my studio. Uh, so, you know, um, but it was funny. And then we just hit it off. Mainly Fed and I have been writing right. and, and uh, did most of the first album. How many records you've done with him? We did the first album and then we did several singles after that. Singles and now that, right? we're working on another album now. Doing, and you're doing it like over Zoom at this point. We're doing it over uh, Zoom. Everybody's sending me files, and then I put it all together, basically. Fred's sending me uh, vocals, you know, Alex's sending me drums, Sergio's sending me guitar, all from different cities. Nice. Wow. That has yeah. got to be a challenge. And we send it to Mix, you know, and then it's... it's That's got to be a challenge, a challenge in this environment, It's right, a little bit George? of a challenge, and it, especially because, you know, the band is very hands-on, and, and, you know, they're used to... Like you said, they've been around since the 90s. They've been, had a career, a 20-year career, like a yeah. U2, still playing arenas all over the world. And they, in the recording process, they're used to that old school. They get in, they got 20 guitars, and they try different guitars for each part. Alex has a room full of drums, yeah. trying different cymbals, trying different snares, trying different toms. I mean, it's, it's a long process. It's a testament to what's going on in this day and age. Obviously, yeah. uh, at least for a while to come, I, I assume that you know we can connect physically. So we got to do it over Zoom. We got to be yeah. socially distanced, and that's going to be a nightmare. Yeah. I mean, I and learn how to use the technology as best you can. Yeah, you know, we're linking up studios now. A thing called Audio Movers is pretty cool. I think there's a few different ones, but. You know, I can play it in my studio, and then they're in other studios listening to through their yeah, speakers. Right. It's a testament to your talent and your patience. Is it different, uh, like, Mana, they record probably band all together in the room? No, no, it's, we, you know, arranged. Yeah, do demo and then piece by piece. Okay. Piece by piece. Yeah, I've been trying to get them to, I was. Connect together? Before, yeah, to record together. Right. Because they, they're a great live band, exactly. and they tour all the time, and there's a certain energy to that. So I think it would be, I think it would be an interesting thing to do, and we were kind of in that process, but now with COVID, it's not. Happening. Before we wrap up, I want to talk about your last success, because it's significant, especially this day and age. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about Calma. I want to talk about uh, uh, Pedro, Pedro Capo. and how that came about, because 
I know it seems like one song, it happened you know, overnight, right. huge success, but yeah. that's not the case. You've been working with, it, with, um, with yeah. Pedro. Uh, um, yeah, for at least uh, five, six years. Five, five six years. Yeah. Now, yeah. we're talking about a song that this past year, Song of the Year, Last correct? year, yeah. Two billion streams. Vamos a la playa, just for you to understand what we're talking about. He co-wrote it, produced it. Um, how did that come about after working with him for so long? Mm -hmm. I know because you've done records with him. How did politically come about to actually go there mm -hmm. to connect the pieces to do that song? Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, Pedro's an incredible singer-songwriter, and, and he can do so many things. He's Pedro got, Cano, correct? Pedro Capo. Capo, perdón. Capo, and uh, his, his grandfather's Bobby Capo. Which Bobby is Capo. Bobby Capo, a legend. Legend. Um, from Puerto Rico, uh, songwriter and singer also. Um, it was tricky because it was at the time, we, first we did a couple of albums trying to find his sound. Sony uh, approached me, it was Paul Forat, You remember Paul? And then Isa, Isabel de Jesus from Sony, his A&R. And uh, they were trying to find his sound. He had elements that were kind of a Ricky a little bit, had elements that were a little Draco. Okay. So he was kind of like this in between. And then we managed to kind of find his own, his own voice. That is, he's got, he's got obviously a singer-songwriter, ballads, beautiful. And then he's got this kind of rock side rock a little style. bit. And he's got this salsero side a little bit. <laughs> And it's just this combination. So it's a pop fusion, whatever. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and we did, you know, one album that was a little more song, singer-songwriter. Uh, and then reggaeton, Urbano started coming onto the scene. We did an album of covers that was, we did your song, of course. We did um, Otro Dia Más. Oh, I think you told me. Bro, yeah. That's right. We did a you whole did. other arrangement of it. Did, so it was bro. kind of like... That's right. You told me that. It was a song of covers, big hits from the 80s and hearing, 90s. Of course, of course. So that was the concept. But then it was like, okay, now what are you going to do? You're like the singer-songwriter guy, but this urbano reggaeton thing is happening. How are you going to fit into this? So he spent, I would say, a year and a half or so writing with a bunch of different people, different groups, some of the guys that do reggaeton. And he would, you know, come back and tell me, man, they're just like taking me out of the equation, basically, you know. And <laughs> it sounds like everything else is on the radio, and it's great. It's really well done. Right. But it's not me. Right. And I'm never, I don't think I can compete with those guys doing that. That's not what I do, you know. Because they were kind of taking his sauce out of it, in other words. Right. With the lyrics, you know, he's a great lyricist, and so... And then, you know, I think it was the minute we tried to, like, not follow anything that was on the radio. It didn't, the tempo was nothing that was like that. It was, nope. it was him. It was Caribbean, but it was, had a little bit right. of the, the very Puerto Rican phrases, and it was him, you know. And we got together with a, another guy, Rec 808, 808, and the three of us having fun, you know. It, you right. could feel it in the song. It, that was the atmosphere in that room that day. It was just like... It was very fun, a lot of laughing, a lot of joking, you know, a few drinks, and, th and that's what came out. And, you know, at first, 
Sony was it's good. It's okay. Right. It's cool. It's, it's nice, you know. But it's the Farruko thing came out after. After. So and then Medalla, which we mentioned in the song. Correct. So beer, Puerto Rican beer. Right. Decided, hey, we like the song. <laughs> a friend of Pedro's got him to, you know, met someone from Medalla. We'll put a little money for the video. That's how the video came along. So it wasn't even really through Sony at the beginning. Oh my gosh. So then it started wow. just kind of virally taking off a little bit. And Farruko heard it and contacted Pedro directly. Oh my God. So it was very organic and said, yo man, I really love this song. I think I can, I think it was first, it was, oh, I love this song, man, congratulations. And then maybe a month later, hey man, I really think I can do something with it. And something. Pedro was like, absolutely, let's do it. Bro. And Farruko already had a big, of you know, course. a lot, of, a big following and, and he laid it down and then it, and then it just took off and it became like the top five in the global Spotify Two charts. and billion streams <laughs> later. And then song of the year. Two billion with a B. <laughs> Congratulations, Georgie. Thank because, you. you know, man, Thank I, you, uh, man. and to hear the story yeah. makes it even more special. It's man. nice that it was organic. And I think something to learn from it is, you know, do things your own way. Don't try and chase what's out there already, even though it's tempting. And that's what everyone will ask you for is, oh, this works. We want 20 more of those. Try and find your own twist on it, at least, or do something that's going to stand out because there's just so much music. Yeah. And if, you know, if the, the stars align, you'll, you'll hit something. But at least you can say, hey, I did it. Something that's a little different. That's it's a little different. That's mine. Yeah. I think with that, we're going to close it out. <laughs> Thank you so much for being a part of our Frost Sessions. Uh, John Sicara here. George Noriega. Hey, hey. Tim Mitchell. My microphone. <laughs> Until next time. Thank you. Peace.